In this episode of Launch AMA, we sit down with David Abbey and Maria Ozapova, CEO and CMO of Penny. We talk about everything from how they raised $27 million earlier this year to how they are enabling thousands of small businesses everywhere to scale their sales through artificial intelligence. Welcome everybody to another episode of Launch AMA. I'm your host, Sam, as usual. Um, here, I'm actually joined by two guests today from Penny.ai. I'm joined by David and Maria. Welcome, both of you. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. So, so just to get things started, um, um, for those that are you that are listening live, it's really simple to participate in this AMA. We have a chat feature here in the live call. Please ask yourselves as many questions as you can related to, to whatever their entrepreneurial journey is. Maybe you have specific questions about sales or fundraising or technology or marketing. Uh, whatever it is, we're going to try our best to answer as many questions as we can in the next hour. Um, but back to David and, and Maria, why don't you just introduce yourselves a little bit and and kind of how you got started here at uh, Penny? Yeah, absolutely. I guess I'll, I'll jump in. Um, so I'm David Abbey. I'm the, the CEO and one of the two co-founders. Um, the, the one thing I love about Penny and one thing I love a lot, a lot of really great startups is it was born out of uh, a personal frustration or actually of a, a personal problem that my wife had trying to build a social commerce business. And it was crystal clear to us uh, a few years ago that there was a lack of technology that serves the independent salesperson um, who's trying to build an online business. And, you know, we went in, my co-founder and I, and we had an original team of five and uh, built kind of the first version of the product, which was really designed to help, uh, independent social sellers manage their customers, not even acquire new customers or not even help with the transaction, but just really an intelligent CRM um, to help people who've already purchased. And within about three months, we went from zero, or I guess one being my wife to 15,000 people using the product. Uh, and that was obviously one of those moments where it's a very, very crystal clear aha moment um, to double down. And when we figured that none of us are savvy marketers at all, uh, and we're building a business that is predominantly led by uh, women, we <laughs> quickly reached into our network and we were fortunate enough um, to meet Maria, who obviously I'll let introduce herself. So she's been kind of a <laughs> pinnacle of everything we do and every everyone who interacts with our brand or goes to our website, um, that is obviously Maria's uh, brilliant hand. Thank you so, so much, David. And um, yeah, I joined Penny about two years ago and I met David, I met Chris, uh, David's co-founder. And when I heard the story of where the product originated, kind of the vision of the impact that uh, Penny can have on anyone in social sales environment and what happens with that industry, I saw so many opportunities uh, that it's such an underserved industrial role and that you rarely hear. You hear about entrepreneurs like David, right? Being on podcasts and things like that. You rarely hear about a mom that might be selling millions of dollars of product that works every day creating content on the social, uh, celebrated as someone that's exceptional and amazing in, um, in business. And that's the opportunity to really enable, again, moms, just because we have 80, 85% of the, of the audience, um, sorry, of the, of the users that are female, but also tell the story, change this around and uh, bring intuitive, brilliant technology and uh, make changes in their lives. And that's what we've been doing. So as a marketer, I'm very, very lucky. I don't have to, you know, uh, fight vendors within tight spaces. I don't have to look for those stories in some 
IT security environment. It's real life that's happening there and some incredible people whose stories can be told um, and some incredible product that we're that we're creating and have a vision for. That's that's amazing. Sorry, I just want to clarify. Did you say 80 to 85 percent of your, your user base is, is female led? Did I, I would say it's right? higher. Higher. In the, in the very beginning, you'd get a, a John or a Jeremy pop up in chat support and we'd be like, whoa, it's a dude. Um, it's, it's, yeah, it, it, <laughs> and it's, it's I mean, I don't have the stats on my hand, but I think it's probably over the 90 percent mark. That's amazing. So was this like a demographic that from day one, um, specifically your team targeted or was it kind of like naturally and you said, hey, like this is working. Let's keep continue to support this segment. Uh, totally organic. We didn't figure it out until we were a little further down the path, but it's not really a secret that the predominant, um, influencers online and those who are most active in social are female, especially the ones who are selling products. There's, there are male influencers, but they're few and far between versus the female demographic. And sometimes it's an interesting dichotomy where we talk to brands and when we talk to corporate within those brands, uh, it is often that IT or communications or digital is led by males and then the users are um, social sellers are female. So it's it's an interesting thing to keep in mind as we are uh, developing a proposition. That's awesome. So. So like I did link um, in our chat and also in our podcast notes, um, the origin story. Of, of David's wife and how the, the problems that she went through in terms of organizing her and scaling her, her business. Um, so that's a super interesting read. I'm going to recommend everybody, if you're listening to this later, pause it, um, go read it and then come back. Of course, we're live, so we can't pause it. <laughs> um, but but just just for those folks that are kind of understanding Penny for the first time, right? So I'm going to read the, the website description. It says it's called a direct sales platform, exponentially increasing revenue by empowering field consultants and leaders. Could you kind of just kind of explain, I know we, we already talked a little bit about the demographic that you serve. How, how do your customers actively use Penny? Like what, what is it that they're doing with it alongside whatever business they're running and how are they using it to grow revenues? Um, great question. It comes down to day-to-day organization and just business management, right? There's no CRMs in the world that are built for independent salespeople. Salesforce, great if you're GM. HubSpot, great if you've got an awesome sales team, uh, inside sales team. You know, Outreach is a company I've admired for so long, building out those action plans. Those are all meant for big companies with inside sales teams. We built a product that is tailored specifically for that independent person. And what we do is we partner with the parent organization. Um, we integrate with them and we ingest all of their sales data, product data, um, basically everything. And then the intelligence behind Penny is it lays out your day. It, here's your day, Maria. This you're going to do this action, then this action, then this action. You know, reconnect with this customer that hasn't purchased in a while. And when you take someone who has a side hustle or working off the side of their desk to build up this social business, they don't have a lot of time. And being the, the user base being predominantly female, a lot of them are young mothers, just like my wife. Right When Penny started, I had a one, two, and four-year-old. So we went through the startup grind and through the haze of being young parents. Um, And it just simplifies everything for you. You wake up, you're like, my kids are napping. I have 30 minutes to get to work. You open Penny and Penny's already laid out your action plan for you. Here's, you know, go talk to Maria. Here's a script that you can use. Here's all your product social shareables. And it just streamlines everything. So it reduces the the headache, the frustration, the the feeling of being overwhelmed because you don't know what to do. For a lot of people, me included, work out of a notebook. And it's really hard. You know, I got five, 20 minutes. I probably won't actually get anything done because I'm looking for what I'm supposed to be doing versus going, Oh, David, I've got to do this. 
And that's been the biggest thing. And when you increase that productivity and obviously bubble up all these sales opportunities, you drastically increase revenue. Awesome. And then, so talking about the demographics of your users, are would is it fair to say most of them are small business owners? Maybe they have small teams anywhere from, I guess, one to how, I don't know how, how large is this biggest size you serve? Um, anywhere from one, like an independent person. And mm-hmm. then you have teams that can go anywhere as big as a hundred thousand people. Wow. Yeah. And, and, and the, one of the main reasons I'm asking this is because Obviously, we're in a room full of founders, a lot of startups. We have some teams that are, are one or two, or we also have teams that are, are 50 to 100 that are all kind of listening on this call. Um, and they're, I think where they're trying to figure out is like, okay, how does Penny fit in my tech stack? How does it fit in my sales stack? Like, is it like a Salesforce replacement? Is it something that, or maybe they're using HubSpot or, or a pipe driver, one of the 18 other things that we always talk about on all these platforms. Like in an ideal sense, where do you kind of see customers using it or is it like one size fits all and you don't need all that other stuff anymore um no we're, we're definitely a little more agnostic we focus very specifically on a few verticals we've replaced salesforce for a multi-billion dollar organization we've ripped out homegrown systems we've augmented systems we've uh sunset some dinosaurs um some some very archaic systems so we we try to be as agnostic as as possible but it, you know every founder should really stay focused on what they do really, really well. We've turned down many opportunities or many shiny objects like, Oh, that could be a cool channel and just stay true to the problem we're solving and to the end user uh, to build Penny to where it is today. That's awesome. And, and a different question I have here for, for both of you, probably if you were building a different SaaS or, or just something else altogether, and this is for both, maybe I'll start with Maria and I'll go back to David. Um, what would you kind of utilize what you learned about, you know, sales enabling, social commerce from your time building Penny? Because I, as I understand, before you were jumping into this, this was, I don't want to say newish, but it wasn't exactly what you were dedicating all your time to. Yeah, absolutely correct. I spent most of the previous years in B2B sales motion. So uh, going into this B2B to C to the distributed sales was incredibly interesting. Um I think it doesn't even have to be a new business. It's bringing in the possibility around social sales enablement and social commerce into other brands, into other industries and just seeing that shift, right? Just like we've seen before everyone would come into the brick and mortar store and then buy products there. And then we've seen the shift to digital. And then if you don't have a digital channel, you're far behind. Like the brands are going out of business uh, if they don't have the digital web presence. That's where I see what we've learned in this microcosm of the direct sellers now going for the next 10 to 20 years to be the de facto channel that if you don't have social sellers or if you don't have people recommending it to their friends and to their network, uh, you're not growing at the rate that other brands are growing that have figured it out. And I think seeing that work and seeing that with the companies that pioneer it, we can take it into any industry and I'd love to see that application. So yeah, David, over to you. Um, I, I wouldn't say if I started another social commerce business, I would say if I started another business, because I've seen so many opportunities and I've had so many terrible ideas along the way. Um, the, the biggest learning that I've taken is just, it's the team, no matter what I did next, it would be the team that, that, you can get found, you can get funding, you can find a market. If you don't have a team around you, that is just a bunch of absolute rock stars. You're going to really struggle. That would be my number one learning. 
That's amazing. And I was going to say, because like you are dealing with small business owners and entrepreneurs, you must get to see so much more. And, and frankly, I get to see this at launch because I'm working with so different, too many different verticals of businesses. Like these are, these are people building things that honestly, I never thought there was a market for it. Right. Um, and so that must be kind of really interesting for you to kind of just see like, Hey, there's a business selling like a very specific niche of socks or, or whatever. It's, it's shocking. Um, and, and it's, it's massive and it's just the, the rate at which it's growing is incredible. Um, there's, there's no shortage of, of opportunities. You can, can probably be a testament. I am the guy in the office being like, what if we did this? What if we built that? And everyone's just like, we just don't have that many people, but there's endless <laughs> amounts of opportunity. Once you get into a, a vertical and, and we're obviously a very vertical specific, you just see the opportunity and you can understand. You're like, I kind of understand how Shopify got as big as they did. They found an opportunity and they're just like, Oh, we can do that. And that, and that, and as you grow your business, no matter what vertical you're in uh, or what you, you, you are building or selling, it's kind of becomes endless if you're an innovator. Mm-hmm. And, and just going back to what you talked about with, with building a team and having the right people surrounding you. So I have a lot of folks on the call um, that, that have recently moved to Canada, moved to North America, and they're looking at building out an expansion of their team, right? Um, you know, you've been doing this a while and obviously without giving away all the, all the state secrets and things like that, you know, there's, there's lots of big companies here that are fighting for developers, fighting for biz dev, fighting for marketers. Um, what, what are some kind of helpful tips that you would have as, as you know, these, these newer startups start to build out their core teams or maybe it's extensions of their core teams? Uh, I'm going to let Maria take this one because Maria's team is arguably one of the highest functioning teams I've ever had the pleasure of working with. Um, first of all, again, I'm super lucky to have David first as support and supporting building the stellar teams uh, with the vision, but second, just the vision for the company and for the culture and leaving that vision. So when I'm trying to sell someone, even against, you know, we have Amazon, we have uh, Microsoft all around right here in Vancouver, close to Seattle. Uh, when we show what we believe in, how we work together, how everyone's eyes are lighting up what type of talent is there that you get to work with them and grow and accomplish something amazing those are the type of people you want to join you not someone that's necessarily looking for the corporate you know north stars but someone that's there to work to accomplish things that's excited about working with uh talented driven people and also that values life and has interests so uh, when we talk to people we have two types of interviews one is very specific uh how do you do your work? What's your experience? How does it fit into our needs? And another one is a culture conversation that has none of that experience. And that's where we talk, do, do you get excited about mountain biking? Do you have the sports hobbies? Um, and almost everyone does. Uh, what do you do in your spare time? Why do you need to work so hard so that you can enjoy life around? And um, somehow those are the type of people that choose to join and end up doing incredible things together. And uh, um, yeah, since the two years, the team, the core team that we've hired uh, stayed on. So it's a huge testament to living Amazing. truly through the culture, to delivering on the enablement and financing and on having people that like Chris and David that we look up to every day and that, you know, show exactly what they need. Yeah. yeah. And from... Just to echo what she said there, and it goes back, you know, my comment about what I would focus on first is team, because when Chris and I started out, we had 
zero experience in HR. We, if you had asked us this question years ago, we would, we would have no idea how we're going to hire, but when you hire incredible people who are passionate, hardworking, that culture um, obviously compounds, but we've in the very beginning, we don't look for a culture fit. It's like, Hey, Sam, do you fit our culture or are you going to add to our culture? Are you going to make us a better place to work? Um, and people are really drawn to that. I mean, we have a massive diversity and inclusion group. We have, uh, I think it's 57% uh, female engineering here at Penny. Again, another uh, CTO asked Chris, he's like, how do you get female engineers? He's like, how many do you have? He's like, none. It's like, well, to start with one. Um, and when you, when people come in and they look at the company and like, okay, this is a rad company. It's a cool product. What are the, who are the people? Who do I actually have to spend more time with every day than my spouse? Uh, and when you, when you have a group of just high functioning, rad people who love adventure in, in all respects, you end up building something that's really cool. Mm -hmm. And one, I feel like every time I do one of these AMAs, doesn't matter who I'm talking to, we always end up talking about, about team culture. Um, one of the kind of obvious hurdles for, for fighting culture or changing culture within a company anyway, in the last couple of years has obviously been the, been the pandemic. From my understanding, you guys do have multiple offices. Um, I'm presuming there's going to be a bunch of you that also work from home and work remotely. How do you manage that kind of now in 2022 with, you know, the current state of work? Um, we, we have an awesome office right in Vancouver, just down the street from, from launch. And we kind of treat it like a hotel desk or we have on sites. So we, when the pandemic hit, we had nine people. Now we have 125. So we are kind of remote natives in a sense. Like we had this crazy growth phase. Everyone was at home. Except for me, I came to the office every day because I have so many kids. Um, and now it's more about building engagement opportunities. Uh, like our Christmas party this year, we have one in Dublin, one in Toronto, one in Scottsdale, and one in Vancouver. And members of our ELT will go to each one. Um, we fly in everybody once once a month, once a quarter, depending on the team, to get everybody interacting. And we you know, have a ton of fun in Vancouver. We go, um, go on adventures. The, our partner success group had a two-day on-site because everyone flew in and then they took the afternoon off and did a murder mystery in Gastown. So you, we find those opportunities to bring people together uh, as, as best as we can and then treat our office in Vancouver as a place where we can kind of come together for one or two days or one day uh, and then leave and go work wherever you, you see fit. Maria's remarkable at uh, driving engagement within, within her team because they're all over the lower mainland. Yeah, and that's so true. I think what COVID did, it helped us kind of reevaluate what type of work you're doing when you are at home and where are you uh, at your best? Is it at home or is it part of the group? And it's striking. I run the offsites every single quarter. It was the team where we just align, you know, look back at the previous quarter, um, reassess uh, what the focuses are for the next quarter. And the insights that happen in that moment where we're just sitting within the same room are remarkably different than the ones that are happening when we're doing the weekly check-in uh, during our weekly meetings. Just, just a different type of brainstorm and a different type of interaction that's resulting in those kind of quarter goals. But at the same time, if we did it every week, I think we would be less productive overall, you know, was the during the execution phase, I find that work at home zeroing is really like incredibly great. Uh, One-on-ones, again, doing them face-to-face, -face, a different type of interaction when you're going through your checklist uh, through, the, um, through the Zoom. And I think at the end of it, it's 
what works best. It, it gives us the flexibility to apply kind of this channel of interaction to what are you trying to get out of it, which before was just a given. You show up in the office, you're getting high on coffee, you know, and you're <laughs> getting through the day, whether it's optimal or not optimal, whether it is distractions. So I really love this transition of being able to say which one is uh, best for the outcome. Mm -hmm. And then from from like, I think question for both of you, for senior management, um, obviously you have sales targets, you have, you know, you have builds that you want to push out product pushes and, and timelines and things like that. How are you trying to balance like the, the time that you have to spend that and the, and the effort that you need to spend focused on, on team culture versus, you know, pushing product or pushing specific, I'm going to go traditional work things. Um, but, but like, how, how do you kind of balance that as, as you know, you're, you're from like the top looking, not, I don't want to say looking down, but, but you know what I'm trying to say. Hey, listener, I hope you're enjoying this episode of Launch AMA so far. If you would like to attend these chats live, ask questions directly to the presenters, and be part of the show, you can sign up for our program, Launchpad. You can learn more about Launchpad and what we do at Launch Academy by going to launchacademy.ca slash launchpad. All right, let's get back to the episode. Uh, that's actually a really easy one because we let the team do it. All of our internal culture groups, team groups, our you know Christmas party organization group, our DIB, um, we have an eat together thing coming up. It's all run by the team, by volunteers. VLT will have a, maybe a hand in it, but for the most part, we let the team do it and it keeps them engaged cross-functionally where we have people from CS and partner success and engineering and product and people chiming in from you know Jersey in, uh, in the UK chatting with someone who's in San Francisco to put together something that's that's unique. And that, in my humble opinion, frees up a lot of my time to, to focus on sales and focus on product and knowing that it's organically happening within the organization. Perfect. And I have to say it happens organically because there is a huge support uh, from the top down, right? When someone comes up with the crazy idea or with an amazing event, it's never it's like, whoa, 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 we have this. It's like, obviously we have our targets. Everyone is crazy busy, but there is this support and participation from the ELT team for um, the events themselves, for the diversity focus, for the focus on culture and balance. Um, so I think having that kind of safety understanding really, really helps. Cool. And just, just for those listening, ELT stands for? Executive Leadership Team. Just our, the chiefs, the, myself, Maria, Chris, Ryan, Matt, York. Awesome. So you mentioned that, that, you know, at the, it was the start of the pandemic, you guys were nine or 10 or something like that. Yep. Um, you've grown to, to over a hundred now. Um, I think a big part of that, from my understanding, outside looking in is, is earlier this year, you closed a, a round of 27 million uh, series B. Yep. First of all, what was that experience like raising, I guess, first during the pandemic, but then also, you know, as, as you're closing, um, you know, we're definitely in an economic downturn now. Um, it was very hard. It, it, every founder on this call, don't ever think that it's going to be easy. Um, there's this joke that I, I was saying during the whole process, we had um, awesome metrics. Everything was lined up we had our growth our pipeline everything was looking great but when you go into a series b stage investor every deal they're looking at is remarkable metrics so to find the, the the right partner who gets what you're doing who aligns with your passion and your vision uh is hard because like well i'm only writing so many checks that we were fortunate to raise right at the end of that kind of hot spell i guess um 
but yeah, it was, I, I counted, I got 62 no's and then I got my yes. And that was over a two month time frame. And when you have a big team, you're growing, you've got these crazy ambitions. Um, you know, the first five no's are fine. You're like, ah, oh, whatever. I don't like them anyway. And then you get the next five no's. You're like, oh, it hurt. And then you get to your 20 or 30 or 40. You're just like, like, it's hard, but it's, it's like standing up every day and getting punched and then being like, okay, back at it. Um, we, and then we got our term sheet. Uh, we got our term sheet the day after Russia invaded the Ukraine, which obviously was kind of the, kind of a catalyst for a lot of uncertainty. And so the timing on that one was, was remarkable, obviously signed that went through the process and closed and we ended up closing about two weeks before the market downturn. So somehow miraculously we threaded the needle and brought on a partner who uh, absolutely um, believes in this vision and is, is wicked uh, and super supportive behind us. But not easy. The next one's not going to be easy. And if we do it again after that, it's not going to be easy. And if I do another startup, it's not going to be easy. Uh, it's it's the hardest thing uh, for a founder to do because it is an emotional challenge as it is as a tactical challenge. For sure. And, and I, well, I want to dive deeper into to talking about the difference in, in raises and in, in stages. But Maria, I want to kind of pop over to you because because as David is kind of focused on, on this round, I'm presuming that, that a lot of day-to-days he's pulled away from because he's he's trying to, well, he got 62 no's, so that means he talked to at least 62 people, right? <laughs> um, or 63 in this case. Um, how is it like working with with uh, a fellow um, senior exec who who's fundraising kind of day to day? And I, the reason I'm asking this is because there's lots of founders that that are maybe they're technical founders, maybe they're marketing founders that are not as focused on fundraising. How are you guys working together as a team um, and and to make sure that you know the lights still go on and off every every single day? It's a fantastic question. And um, I think from day one, the way David and most of the executives run the teams at Penny is hiring incredibly smart people, dedicated, aligning at the beginning of the year or the quarter on the goals, and then pretty much trusting the execution, trusting that things happen, not checking in every second, not jumping in and turning the ship every turn, you know, if something happens, but stay in the course. And that helps. That means that we have to check in when something happens outside of the norm. But other than that, even if David takes off on two months vacation, the things will happen the way that we've projected them. And when he's focused on fundraising, that's exactly what's happening. We, we knew that he's working every day, crazy hours, tra- travel and everything to bring that in. He said he would do it. He did it within exactly the amount of time, was an incredible partner. It was humbling and remarkable to see the effort and also not missing a single um, by uh, twice a month is when we have the ELT coming together with the executive leadership group, getting an update, understanding what's happening in the business. And again, stay in the course. I can stress enough working with the CEO that's able to stay the course, establish the course, align on the course and stay it helps everyone to not just be frazzled. And every day it's a new shining objects that we're chasing. We're, we're aligned on what we're doing. And then my team as well, I set up quarterly meetings. If I need to jump in, do a couple edits or change something I do, are other than that, it's almost like an independent department that they're doing their roles, they're doing their jobs and doing an incredible thing at that. 
Yeah. And just to be, just to clarify, I only went away for one week when we finished, not two months. <laughs> no, I was, it's to me, it's a sign of an incredible leader and a manager. When you build a team that can execute for any amount of time, pretty much almost without you and still the company doesn't fall apart and accomplish what's need to be there, but also be there for the important inflections, for the important, you know, support and growth. Uh, that's the kind of leadership at the right level, as opposed to be micromanagement changing things always tweaking with something that and again david is incredible at that well thank that's you that's awesome that's awesome so like actually maybe i'll start with you maria on this one and i'm not sure i'm not sure when you joined the company were you around when when uh penny was raising their their seed or series a as well i think i joined and david correct me if i'm wrong just within days after the seed and the initial fi uh, funding that's where okay. we could start building the team um yeah. okay yeah. So, so I'll, I'll start with Maria, but then I'll hop back over to you, David. Um, what would you kind of see as your vantage point experience in when you were raising the, I guess, not the seed part, but the series A versus the series B? Was there like a difference in, in terms of what your day to days and, and what, what the focuses were? Um, Maybe I hand it over to David a little bit to talk about the dynamic, just because I think series A was very much kind of um, different, different level than we had series B. And then I can jump in. Yeah, they're they're not the same thing at all. I mean, yes, that's raising money. Um, one thing I learned in in the process is if you really want to be successful in your race, you really got to do your homework and make sure you're talking to the right people. There's a lot of times I go into meetings, uh, you know, do a presentation, and they had I was I may have been talking Chinese. They did not get our product. They're on a different space versus I go into someone who understands commerce, understands B2B, understands enterprise, uh, and they lean in. But from what you're selling at your Series A, it's very different than your Series B. Uh, and you really got to make sure you understand that talk track. Even the level of due diligence that happened at our A to our B, um, <laughs> they're not even the same thing. So preparedness was fundamentally different. And your Series A, like we were two, two and a half years old. Like we, we didn't know anything. We're, we thought we knew everything, but we didn't really know anything at all. Um, and you just have to, I mean, everything has to be tight, airtight when you get to your BDA, you can be a little loose seed. You can just be like, I got an idea. Um, this is an awesome team and we're going to execute. And this is how big the market is. And like, it's more about selling you, whereas A, bit of you, bit of product, B is product. That's, that's amazing. I think that's a really kind of good way to define it because I, I think a lot of people are, are listening on this and they're trying to kind of consider their options, right? Maybe they have a bit of revenue. They may might be looking at a raise. Um, they're not exactly kind of sure what the, what the, the direction to go in is. And so like that, that could be really interesting. Um, yeah, coincidentally yeah. enough at the time of time of we're recording this right now, we have our demo day for, for launch members coming up where oh, there's going to be cool. several people pitching on stonks um, virtually for the first time in front of hundreds of investors. What advice do you have for them? Virtually, um, be right up front about the problem, be extremely precise, uh, and then show your, the metrics that matter right up front. If you put those in the back and someone's five side, six slides in trying to figure out what you do, and then by the time they figure that out, the metrics have been missed, um, you want to make it so your, your audience doesn't have to think. Like, what are they doing? That does what? I, huh? And the moment they're thinking, they're not listening. So if you've got a five minute window and I, man, I, 
I remember the road show. I remember the road show, unfortunately, all too well from the early days. Yeah. You nail those, those hooks that are going to like, okay, like this is super interesting. Wow. They can do that. Um, and then make sure you show the vision. How big can it really be? Cause if it's always going to go up to the right, every one of you has this graph that goes like, Oh, it goes up here. Of course it does. You're a founder and you're pitching an investor to give you money. Make sure that they believe you. Um, that would be my, my two cents, put that stuff right up front. Yeah. And you talk about, especially for, for those that are raising seed round, a lot of it is kind of selling you as the founder. How do you integrate the problem you're solving with like saying like, Hey, our founders, Joe and Joe and Frank, they're awesome people. And we're the right people to do the, this tackle this problem. How do you kind of integrate that into that in the three? Uh, I mean, if you're coming from a real world experience, like I'm, I'm unique in the sense, like I started Penny because of this, my story resonates with a lot of people. You're like, Oh, I understood a problem. I had the wherewithal to figure out how to do it. And I got a wicked co-founder who can actually unpack my head and turns it into ones and zeros. Um, you have to let them believe that you know this problem inside and out. And if you kind of stumbled upon it and you're like, Oh, this is kind of cool. Don't say you stumbled upon it. Say you've been passionate about this for a very long time and you've always seen this opportunity. Um, and when it comes to the founding team, it's like, it's, you want to make sure you demonstrate that I am so strong in my lane and my co-founder, if there's two of you or three of you are so strong here, and this is how our little trifecta or whatever it is, is so powerful. And we all know this, and this is how, why we're going to crush it. Any credibility that you have, obviously he came from Thinkific and he came from Hootsuite and he came from LinkedIn. That'll obviously help. Um, anyone who's raised money before or been in a startup helps. Um, I've been in a startup that failed and I put that right up front. Like, yeah, my first job out of college, I was in a startup that didn't make it. I learned more there than in the startups that were successful. Right. Cause you're like, Holy shit, this is hard. Sorry. Um, but swore. it's um, good. <laughs> uh, and, and you learn a lot more because you've got to, I mean, I worked for six months with a newborn with no money because we were trying to make this thing work. So tell stories that show that you have the ability, but also the, um, you're not afraid to do hard things. Mm -hmm. And from a, from a practical sense, I mean, just looking at Vancouver loan, obviously you've been around in the scene a long time. There's a lot of different pitch type events. Um, obviously we have our own that we support with our members, but even in the community, there'll be like things like Thai Vancouver or, or a new ventures BC as a competition. Um, mm -hmm. There's lots of things where you're giving a very limited time to kind of pitch to, to a mass number of people from a very practical sense from, from, from the CEO and the founder, what's like the optimal way to leverage things like this? Because I think the, the, the mystique is like, oh, you're going to go pitch for three minutes. Somebody in the audience is going to come in and give you a check right away that I've, in my experience, that doesn't really happen. Um, but, but like what, how would you kind of leverage events and, and programs like this that are just out there? Uh, that's hundred percent networking. The likelihood of you going in and pitching for three minutes and getting a lead for 250,000 is almost zero, right? It, it depends on your stage too. Like if it's, Hey, it's, you know, my name's David, this is Maria. We've got this idea. We're angel stage. We're looking for, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. C capital is very different than we're a C stage company. We're looking for a $2 million round. We don't have a lead. Um, it's going to be really hard to go and collect hundred thousand dollar checks versus go in, find these individuals, all of these individuals and these pitch events are connected to funds generally, um, but it's networking. And one of the biggest advantages 
founders have right now is that they don't have to travel to raise. That was a, a secret weapon for me during the raise process because I was talking to VCs in every state in America <laughs> and I would just be back to back to back to back all day long um, versus five years ago. No, I had to travel. And so the big advantage is network, get introductions because you got to build virtual relationships with someone before they peel off a six figure check. That's perfect. And do you have any suggestions on as, as you're kind of just getting into this process, how you kind of start building that, that virtual network versus, you know, I think there's a traditional route of like going to conference, going to meetings, shaking hands, um, having meetings and things like that. The, the conference is obviously the, it works, but it's few and far between. And I've always over the last few years, um, even pre pandemic to now I've found that less VCs are going to conferences and it's more about relationships the the one that works really really well is another founder introducing you like if um jason smith is a the founder of clue and he's a good friend and he he's a brilliant operator he's got great credibility within the vc community he's obviously further along than us getting an introduction into a vc from someone like that is a really great opening getting an introduction to another vc from a vc is not great because the first question is like, well, are you investing? And if they say no, well, then the conversation is not going anywhere. So finding people in your network that can give you credibility without um, being any sort of negative uh, in, uh, in the process. And then also make your list, find, okay, I'm a B2B SaaS company, I'm seed stage. Um, go find all your comparables, then go into Crunchbase, pay the license and go down the rabbit hole and find every fund, every investor in that fund that fits your niche, that has a comparable, then go to LinkedIn and find a way in and build a really killer one or two liners. And just, uh, I hope you have experience prospecting. <laughs> That's awesome. It, it's, a, it's, it's where you have to be relentless. It's crazy. So, so see out here is masking. Um, you mentioned you spoke to 60 plus investors in a, in a pretty short window. Any advice on how a founder can line up such a high volume of investor calls in a short window like that? Exactly what I just said. A network, just just nonstop networking. Um, I had my spreadsheet and it was 62 no's from people who are actually down the path. Like 62 no's, right. like we were in the due diligence and we've had multiple partner meetings. I probably had about 150 calls and some just went nowhere. I'd go a call and I'd get off and like, I don't want to work with that person. They're not, or they just didn't get it. So um, I made my list. It was, you know, say 150 people, which fund, which partner, who can get me an introduction to that person? And if, and when I spoke to them and then the next step, and I just created my own system, I actually used Penny for it. Um, that being said, every founder out here, there's a free version of Penny that has a prospecting tool on LinkedIn. It will make your life incredibly easy to go and build your pipeline through LinkedIn, finding investors. Um, and then I just went line by line and I went in, okay, you know, Chris, who knows Chris? Okay, all these people. I actually know that person well enough to ask for introduction. And then I would just, just good old fashioned BD prospect. Grinding. Grinding. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and and I, I think it was a Chris Hobbs podcast, Afternoon Tea, good friend of, good friend of ours at launch too. Uh -huh. You mentioned that you're already working on your deck for, for Penny's next round. Um, yes. I guess in, in, in your opinion, is there a, ever a time you're not working on your deck? Uh, no, because the... You know, we went into the series B, we're raising this money. This is our promise. This is what we're doing with it. This is how we're going to be successful. That's our guiding light. 
to creating the next one. And we know what that looks like. So articulating that story, tracking the metrics all the way along. When I get there, if we knock everything out of the park and it's glorious, it will be easier. If we're, you know, we're battling the recession and it's a lot harder than we thought, it's going to be harder. So it just has to just really be, again, airtight. So I'm always thinking about what that looks like uh, and how we get there. And one of the and things, David, sorry, just a couple of extra tips had done is build an elevator pitch deck that's separate or different or way shorter than your main pitch that you're actually doing when you are on site or when you are having a meeting. So we've worked on that and, you know, cutting it down to nine to 10 slides max that tells the story that tells the potential, but doesn't give all of the details. So as you are doing your second or third touch lining up the, um, the meeting, share that so that they have some of the information, have some of the story that you can then build in in the in the actual face-to-face -face. Mm -hmm. yeah, and, and anyone that's raising just know it's going to be really 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 hard <laughs> the the tech crunch community really glorifies fundraising you talk to any founder that's been through it a few times they're going to tell you that it's just soul sucking and it's hard so just be prepared like no you're not going to put together a 10-page deck and go sit down with someone in sequoia and they're going to lead your round with two days later I mean, awesome if that happens, but the likelihood of that is no. Just be prepared for that. <laughs> Fair enough. And I know there's some people listening that that are building lifestyle businesses as well. Um, mm -hmm. There's also people that have you know done a really great job that of bootstrapping up to up to a certain point, and now they're kind of at this fork in the road. Um, for your from your own experience, was there a path where you were going to say, "Hey, we're we're going to bootstrap Penny and, and just see how far we can go it while maintaining you know full ownership." Or was it from day one, you always knew you were going to go down this venture backable path? Uh, no, we always knew we were going to go down the venture backed um, path because we've always known how big our market opportunity is and the likelihood of bootstrapping to get there is very, very low. Um, we were fortunate enough to get uh, two funds who are typically Series A come way, way downstream uh, and fund us early. Um, and then, of course, that just set us on our on our path. For sure. I have another question here. Once a call is scheduled with an investor, is it wise to have one caller have the call? Um, especially since I guess any of the, the founders could have the call or maybe you have multiple, like, is there a preferred option or ideal? Um, just make sure I understand. It's just kind of like bringing multiple people from the company on the call or just do one-on-one. -on -one? Um, yeah. Like, I think, I think that's their option is like, do we want all the founders there to kind of meet this investor or? Uh, no, absolutely not. You want to isolate one person. Because if you, if you have three people, say there's three founders in the company, you're all mm -hmm. on every call and you're a young company and you've got 10 or 20 or 30 employees, who's running the day-to-day, -day, right? When we went through the Series B, I was totally on my own island. I would pull in people where I needed, but Chris would only join the call when I'm three or four in. Like, it just wouldn't make sense. And the, the volume of calls I'm going through... It, it didn't make sense. So my suggestion, if there's more than one founder, is to isolate one person to be the lead, to create the relationships, um, to build that pipeline. And then when it's necessary, bring in Chris. Okay, do the tech call. Oh, you know, I'd love for you to meet Maria because Maria has this grand vision. You should really meet her. And then I'd pull in Maria or I'd pull in Matt, who's, who runs ops. Um, and then you start to build that relationship. And then they start bringing in other partners as well. That would be my suggestion. Mm -hmm. And then I think still related to, to, you know, the volume and the types of calls you're getting, like you've talked about having a lot of, lot of no's. 
um, mentally, how do you, how do you kind of get past that when let's say it's not even a no, it's one of those other 75 calls that you're like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to work with this person. How do you kind of mentally just get back and say, okay, well, we're going to do another one. Um, And does that grind kind of, kind of work on you over time, the fatigue? Oh, absolutely. It does. Um, But if you don't think that you have the ability to do that, you have the wrong job. You have no choice. I have 80 employees. I've got, you know, millions of dollars of people's money that I'm responsible for to, to deploy and grow. So if I'm getting beat up and I'm like, Oh, poor David can't raise his round of funding. Well, then I'm doing the wrong job. You have to know that you're going to get smacked every day until one person says yes. And you only need one. Once you get your one, it's funny. Everyone is first to be second. Very few are first. Um, so as you're going through the process, don't take it personally. They're not, they don't not like you as a person. You just may, you know, like going to a bar full of beautiful people like, ah, oh, you're, good looking, but your eyebrows are just like, oh, just like just an inch or oh, your nose is like, you know, slightly crooked. You're awesome, but I just can't get past that. Um, so just, you just have to keep going. Like it's amazing. That's amazing. And, and I know that, um, you know, David and Maria, perhaps you as well, you do advise on, on some other startups as well, as well. Are there specific like like types of companies that you're interested in advising or, or specific folks or expertise that you're looking to pass along? Maria, you want to go first? It's a great question. And I think where my expertise is, is really kind of early stage to growth to like early financing and um, also building the marketing, either the team or expertise um, and go to market strategy around this. So I find that exciting. I find that uh, people within those stages and people with the companies is where I kind of resonate the most. Um, So the type of companies, anyone within the kind of early stage, but with the possibility of financing and expanding. I can literally hear the founders typing your name into LinkedIn right now, trying to look you up and thinking, what, what is my in? How do, how do I get to know somebody who's going to connect me with Maria? There's a lot of somebody's in Vancouver now. I'm very open to, um, to networking and chatting. And as you said, I am working within the uh, groups, uh, both that benefit me from just kind of marketing expertise and other CMOs and uh, heads of marketing and also uh, the tech community. Mm-hmm. What about you, David? Um, I love the early stage, the ideation stage, even now, right. I'm, I'm my happiest when I'm working with, um, you know, some of the core partners on the, the kind of innovation ideation, how do we bring this to market? How does this work stage? So, um, I'm always open to working with other founders and there's been an amazing amount of people that have helped me. Uh, and I just kind of just feel that it's my responsibility that if someone comes along and, you know, I, a, I align with their product. I like them as people. We can, we can get along. Uh, I have no problem stepping in and, and answering questions, helping a bit of guidance along the way, because we have to create that flywheel for other founders and we can't go at it alone. Right. Mm-hmm. The, the big list of um, comp- or VCs that I was introduced to, most of it came from other founders because of, they're helping me and I pass that down and I probably wouldn't be the best person in a B stage because you've got all the intricacies and all the problems and uh, everything, but the young, you know, seed pre-seed, even series A, that's where I can, you know, at least I'm not going to give you advice, but I'll share stories that you can derive your own outcomes from. Um, and 
give you feedback here and there. And I've done it a bunch with the C100 uh, companies where they've, you know, they're going out to raise, they've sent me their decks, they've asked for feedback, knowing that I just went through it. So I'm always happy to um, step in and, and lend a hammer again. Cool. I wanted to, sorry, can I just quickly jump in? Just building that circle of uh, people that you can bounce ideas, or if it's, let's say, marketing, marketing expertise, to me through the career had been one of the most impactful and high value uh, channels of testing things, not investing in Toronto technologies, looking for talent. So just building that around and continuing and investing the time. Sometimes you go in and you learn nothing, but you've supported five people, you know, during the three hours that you never get back, but that comes back and building that expertise and people that you can ping at any time, or this is happening. Have you tried this? Uh, I'm about to build this deck. Have you done this? It's so, so important, like can be overstated with whoever is building the businesses. There is always someone that either knows or can kind of talk you through or even bounce the ideas around. So I would highly recommend building that. Awesome. And and I think for for both of you, because it sounds like, you know, giving back to the community isn't something that we're just starting to do now because your your company is at a certain stage. I feel like it's something with both of you as as Penny has grown, you've just kind of done more exponentially of. Um, but but I can imagine your day to day is going to be quite busy. How do you decide kind of like, OK, these are people that I feel like I can help and I'll take that call or take that coffee date, whatever it is, um, versus other people that are saying mm, not right now. Um, what, can you can you walk me through a little bit of like how if people, somebody really wanted to reach out to you, what's the best way to kind of get your attention? Um, easiest is through through someone. I, uh, I, I know. Um, great example. Someone reached out to me last week. Uh, it's a startup uh, and they're in the CPG space. Um, they obviously knew we raised, reached out to a friend to connect me. And I was like, I'm happy to have that chat, but I don't have experience in CPG. Like I might not be the best person for you to talk to because my problems are different. I can hear you out and I can give you some advice, but I would definitely say if you're going to reach out to someone, make sure that it's relevant. Um, is kind of how I would look at that versus someone came to me and was like, Hey, I'm doing enterprise sales and this, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out my B2B motion. Um, yeah, I can absolutely talk to you because I've, you know, cut our teeth where we have clients that are, you know, takes us a year to close a deal, but it's a multi-million dollar contract versus it's a smaller deal and it goes through in three weeks. So that to me, that's where I could fit in or we're raising this round of funding. If you were raising a round of funding and you were in the um, consumer space, I might not be the right person because I don't have experience. I don't know what kind of metrics those types of investors are looking for. But if you're B2B space, I can probably give you some good feedback on your deck because I've been given a lot of feedback on my deck. Um, so that, that's generally how I'd, I'd say I triage those things as they come in. And I want to be respectful of my time and your time. Perfect. Maria? Yeah, I would second the same. Uh, just generally saying, can I pick your brain is probably not the best way to approach it. But if there is a specific niche or a specific direction of the conversation, it really helps. And also B2B is where a majority of my experience is. B2C is a very different marketing motion. So someone's building, you know, just general e-commerce brand, maybe not the best person, but someone that's building the B2B early stage, how to structure the team, all of that I'm happy to talk about. Uh, yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, one last thing I'll, I'll drive over, uh, David's way. I, I saw that you kind of recently joined a GTM fund as an LP. Um, it's a, it's a really a coincidence because 48 hours ago, I didn't know this. Um, but we are actually allowing, announcing our reverse reverse pitch 
specifically for our launch members, where investors for the first time are going to pitch to to our members here at launch. Um, I guess really quickly, why did you decide to join kind of GTM Fund and just give us a little bit of sneak preview of what they're about? I know they're going to go into it in a couple of weeks. Yeah, um, one of the one of the guys that put that together, Scotty Barker. Uh, I had the pleasure of working with him uh, about five or six years ago. And coincidentally, when him and I parted ways from the companies, right, he actually went and worked with Maria. Um, he is a in, incredible human being first and then he's just brilliant uh so i've been following it for a while they put it together and the what they're all about is the secret sauce and why i joined is a fund is a fund is a fund it's green they give you money it's great um where they're super unique is their lps are all operators everybody who's in the shit every single day um from ceos to founders to cmos to vps of revenue to heads of product so when a company gets backed by GTM, um, typically speaking, GTM is going to follow a big lead, but the value prop to the lead and the value prop to the company is now you get that network of 250 LPs who are all current operators. It's not like, oh, I have this high net worth family and I popped a million dollars into this fund. It's like, no, I'm a founder. I've done this. I'm doing this right now. So when you go in and you have your challenge, you can go into the LP network and go, you know what? I'm struggling with my brand positioning. I need to get a hold of a few CMOs. Boom. There's someone like Maria. I can get Scotty to reach out or I can reach out directly like, hey, I'm David. I'm the founder of this. And, you know, GTM's a, a, an LP or, or an investor. Can I get 30 minutes? This is my query. And that is the value. And that's why I got involved because it allows me to give back. It allows me to expand my network. Uh, and it's just a rad group of people that are behind it. That's that's really amazing. I'm glad you could share that with us. Hey, thank you both of you for for you know the last hour we spent together. I learned a ton. I hope that listeners here are are learning a ton too. If you're listening to this um uh, on a recording on the podcast later and you want to get involved with live sessions like this, you want to get involved with reverse pitches, you can check out our website, launchacademy.ca slash launchpad um, and join our program. And then you can kind of join in these discussions with us. Uh, thank you again, both of you so much. Um, any any parting words or, or ways that they can kind of check out Penny or, or connect with you on social? Um, yeah, two things I'll say. One, um, just keep going. Keep on keeping on. Uh, when it gets hard, it's just, that's fine. Uh, every founder has to eat out of the trough of sorrow at some point. Um, so enjoy it and then get out of it. Um, and two, there's a version of our product that is free. And if you are fundraising, you want to build a pipeline, we have arguably one of the best B2B prospecting solutions you could use uh, directly in LinkedIn. Essentially injects Penny directly into LinkedIn. You can build your pipeline. You can do all your follow-up uh, without ever leaving LinkedIn. And knowing how much time I've spent in there prospecting, uh, it may be advantageous and it's free. So uh, go for it. Awesome. Thank you so much, everyone. And, and we'll be back again really soon. Thank you again, Maria and David. All right. Thank you. It was fantastic. Thank you so much. This episode was part of the Launch Academy network of podcasts. Make sure to subscribe if you haven't already. While you're here, we hope you can check out the other Launch Academy podcasts, Bits and Bytes and Founder Journey. If you're interested in joining these talks live and learning more about what Launch Academy does, go to launchacademy.ca. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter at Launch Academy HQ. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.